Hello and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the LOL preseason. Before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the audience about what this podcast is about? Well, I'd say it's pretty simple. We tend to talk about games. Um, This week, though, I do have a lot of stuff on my mind because... Uh, first of all, I've been playing ridiculous amounts of games, as I just realized by looking at my Steam profile. Um, and also, you know, I've just been thinking a lot about the past couple of weeks, and most of our loyal view or listeners will know that I'm probably talking about Fallout 4, but, uh, I just, I, I just, I just have to, I just have to, like, get this off my chest, right? All right, buddy, <sighs> so tell me about your week. Oh, God. Okay. So I've been listening to, uh, this is going to be really roundabout, so you're just going to have to bear with me here. All right. I've been listening to a new podcast recently, and it's this podcast on wolfpop.com. Uh, it's hosted by uh, Devin Faraci and Amy Nicholson, who are two very well-known you know, film critics on like the, the blogosphere and Twitter and everything like that. And, th- and this, this podcast is called The Canon. And basically what they do is, you know, each week somebody will nominate, you know, they'll get it from forums or from people on Twitter or whatever. They'll nominate a film for, uh, you know, induction into the canon, and then they'll kind of argue about why or why not it should be a part of the canon of, like, great, great films, right? You know, like, that these are films that people should watch, that film people, like, film buffs should go back and watch and stuff. And, uh, you know, they, they do all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, that sounds really pretentious, and they can get pretty pretentious, obviously. Um, you know, but they have Clerks and Blade Runner and, you know, these kind of, like, cult classics and stuff that, that, that are in there. And so I've been thinking in those terms a lot. And I was thinking a lot about Fallout 4 and I was trying to, you know, kind of, like, put together almost because, you know, we're coming up on the end of the year. And I'm thinking a lot about, you know, the games that I've played this year and what my top ten would look like, my top five would look like, what's my game of the year. And I was just kind of thinking, you know, like, where does Fallout 4 come down in all of this stuff, right? Is this a, is this a great is this a great game? You know, like, ten years from now, are we, are we going to still be thinking about Fallout 4 and talking about Fallout 4? Am I going to load up Fallout 4 on, on Steam and replay? Play it, you know, the way that I've replayed, you know, kind of all these other games that I think of as, you know, my person, my personal games canon. And uh, the kind of verdict I came down was like, no, right? And I think that this is the, 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 you know, this is the the tragedy of Fallout 4 for me. Because, you know, we did our, our very first episode, right, was our hyped episode. Like, what are the games that we're most looking forward to? And Fallout 4 was my number fucking one, right? But, uh, you know, now that I go back and I think about it and I'm thinking about this game, you know, we took, you know, last week, obviously, with Thanksgiving. No, wait, maybe it was the week before. Whatever. You know, we took Thanksgiving. I didn't play for a couple of days and it was just kind of seething in my mind, like gnawing at me. And I and I just kind of began to realize that, you know, maybe Bethesda. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they've peaked or something because I, I do think I think Skyrim is the is the better game that Bethesda has made in their entire career, right? Like Skyrim is just is is better than Fallout 4 to me. And then I was thinking I was like, well maybe you know like maybe it's the best Fallout game, right? You know, I I think uh the original Fallout and Fallout 2 are obviously super super heavy influential stuff, right? And I've played enough of them. I've never actually beaten the games, but I've played enough of the games to kind of get why they were so crazy for the time and everything. But I I also don't think it's better than Fallout New Vegas. So it's not even the best Fallout game. And I was just sitting there like, oh, oh, overwhelmed. It's just like melancholy and disappointment. Oh, 
should be the name of today's episode melancholy and disappointment I because mean, maybe for you <laughs> yeah yeah um because you know i am according to my you know my steam profile um i am 107 hours deep into fallout 4 and i don't really like this game that much ah <sighs> anyway you know i was you know actually before I go off on this tangent that is related to Fallout 4, I swear, just bear with me for a second. I think we have to introduce a new, a new, a quick new segment to uh, to some derps talk about games. I'm gonna need everybody to go out and get 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 your monocles, guys, and get a little glass, fill it with some brandy, oh, sit in a high back leather chair. It's time to go into Buddy's pretentious corner where I talk about pretentious things. I don't know why this popped into my head just now. It's probably because we're talking about film criticism. But, you know, like, however many years ago, there was a big deal because Roger Ebert came out in a blog post and he said that he doesn't think that games can be art and everybody got real bent out of shape about it. Um, If you actually read past kind of the headline, right, like that clickbait headline that he was getting at, basically his theory is that art is something that's 100% created by an artist, right? But because a piece of every game is fundamentally created by the player, the muddying of that 100%, right, that percentage, is what kind of disqualifies it from being, you know, I think he used the term high art in this in this context. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think he was intending to be condescending. He came out in later blog posts to just kind of explain that he thinks that it's different but not necessarily worse it's not a quality judgment it's just a it's it's a defining thing right like how we define art kind of thing um and i think that that sentiment plays into how i feel about this uh because i feel like compared to past fallout games compared to past bethesda games i'm doing far less creating of my own kind of narrative and my own kind of world which is really ironic when you think about it because i'm sure you're going to say well buddy you can create settlements and you can do all this other stuff but i just kind of feel like i'm being railroaded a lot more in fallout 4 and that that's that's you know <laughs> pun intended i suppose uh and that that's that's a problem with the game that i haven't quite figured out how to grapple with yet uh i don't know I, I don't know i really like bethesda when it comes to dlc i think dlc could be a big saving grace for this game which could kind of take it into the into the stratosphere and maybe i could see myself come back to it but man i mean just looking at my just looking at my steam stuff now that i'm going through and looking at all of these games that you know i've played um in my uh in my lifetime or whatever uh, I have about the same amount of time on my PC version of Skyrim. I probably have another, you know, one or two hundred hours of it played on the Xbox 360 because, of course, I bought it on both, uh, you know, on both uh, kind of consoles, I suppose. Um, and I don't know that I'm ever going to do that for Fallout 4. Like, I don't know that I'm going to come back to Fallout 4 ever just because of this feeling. Ah, this is so depressing. I'm sorry. Now that my my rant is over, pretend we're, we're, done, we're done with our pretension, I guess. <laughs> Uh yeah I so I I I've I've obviously I've heard your complaints um well as the dialogue system and the story and whatnot and I, I I personally feel like you have this tendency to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater as it were I think you get way too hung up on like these these things that are ultimately secondary and like I don't know I I really enjoy Fallout I don't have as many Oof, hours as that you is do. an interesting that is an interesting kind of uh uh, parallel almost 
Because I wouldn't say that that's secondary. I th- you know, I, I would say that it, it's less throwing the baby out with the bathwater and more like, you know, Fallout 4 is, is a house, right? And it's built on, you know, all of these, these like big foundations, right? And like, you know, gunplay is a foundation and the RPG stuff is a foundation and whatever. And I feel like the, the foundation that is the dialogue system is so rotten and broken that it just can't support the house. And so like kind of the whole house has collapsed for me in my mind. Um... And uh, I don't know, because the, the, the other thing is I see how this dialogue system has bled into kind of everything else to fuck with it almost, right? Like, I, I almost feel like there's no part of the game that wasn't touched by this, like, festering rot of the, uh, of the dialogue system's corruption, if I wanted to be poetic about it. I think this might also talk to our different types of playstyles, because, like, I definitely see what you're saying. I definitely see the problems with the dialogue system. And, and again, all, uh, as listeners from previous episodes said, I, I, I do appreciate the, the attempt to do something different, but I do hope that they learn the lesson that voice acting is not more important than choice, ultimately, in uh, in these types of games, or in, in their games, which is you know kind of why we play them. But I also think that part of it is that, um, like... I always the way I always played these games was kind of like I do the main story for long enough to get whatever amount into the game I needed to to you know really get like all the features kind of rolling you know like uh, open oblivion gates in oblivion uh, get my first couple sh- like get my first couple shouts get the foots to row and the dot and Skyrim um, I don't really feel like there's much of that point in this game um, it's it's maybe getting Preston Garvey. And the Minutemen back to Sanctuary. That's probably it. So you unlock the settlement stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I see what you're saying. And then I kind of wandered off in a direction and never went back to the main story. And just kind of explored the world. And I love that. Um, and in a weird way, the story of this game is the only story in any Bethesda game I've played that has made me play past like those first four missions. Um, and for me, like when I kind of got tired of the deficits in the story... I just kind of wandered off and started doing my own thing again. And that's kind of what I love about, and, and, you know, I'm still fulfilled by that, right? Like, you know, maybe you could say there aren't as many great side quests, but there are a ton of great little things in, uh, in the world that, that I love, right? Like I, I went through the silver shrouds, uh, quest line backwards. Um, like I found, uh, the, the comic shop, I went into it. I love this kind of little world of, of the silver shroud that was there. Um, and listening to all the different, like, like the argument between the producer and whatever on the terminals and picking up all the stuff and being like, wow, I, now I've got the silver, silver shrouds outfit type of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that kind of like little stuff there, there's a couple things with Raiders that are kind of like that. There's, there's, uh, um, like, uh, like for part of the railroad quest, you have to go. Uh, I think it's the Randolph Safe House, but like the Randolph Safe House just kind of like kills some sense in here. But then you read the, some of the terminals, and it's like this weird subplot about a professor at CIT uh, and the dean getting all up in his business and arguing with him and telling him why are you in the bank for so long with one of your female graduate students? Oh, I, I, you know, that's actually kind of funny. See. I, now that you're saying this, this this is the stuff I actually really enjoy. Uh, I did the same thing, but I didn't do it as part of a railroad thing. I just walked into that settlement one day, and I read through those. Uh, I read through that stuff on the uh, on the terminals. Uh, but I, I remember the you know the same story that you're kind of addressing. Did you find out? Did you find the the conclusion? 
Uh, I found the it, yes, because it's the entrance at the in the bank, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't actually go in there. I didn't do anything in there or whatever. But I remember, you know, because I think by that time I was just so overflowed with junk. Yeah, I mean, I so. Yeah, just, think... just just to kind of close close out my thoughts oh, on sure, sure, that sure. particular experience, right? Like, I read all this stuff about like this conflict between the professor and the dean, and like I kind of wandered around, like, oh, where's the admin building? Oh. Um, oh, that's the bank. Let me look into it. I went down and then like, you know, oh, like this is also the second bank I had found that day. I found the bank in, in Boston, which is, you know, not really a story point, but like you open this giant vault and there's just like 7,000 vault boxes to make it just kind of like, <laughs> this is like, you know, money is mine. I have like 300 stacks of pre-war money. Um, but then like I, I go into this vault and like, you know, I open, like I just happened the button that opens up the, the lab is the last one I did. It's like, Huh, that's funny. Wait, the door swung open. There's a button. It's just kind of like, and then pressing that button, everything kind of clicked and fell into place as to, you know, like what all the, like I hadn't seen that whole, like, you know, oh, why are they in the bank together for so long? It's like, oh, is there, is there something? And, you know, the thing about her birthday, it's just like, oh, and, you know, that, that kind of thing felt good to me. Right. Yeah. And I definitely think that that, that is the game kind of like working at its hardest um, and doing its best. But, like, there's so much other that, you know, and, and this is what really fuels this kind of, like, degrading ambivalence that I feel, right? Where, which is because, like, I love that stuff. And I do think that that stuff is very good and that's very core to kind of the experience. But then I also, you know, like, these, we, we talked about this before, but these radiant quests, like, these procedurally generated radiant quests bothered me so much more in Fallout 4 than they ever did in Skyrim, or even in Fallout 3, where they both were, right? Like, both of those, uh, it wasn't called Radiant Quest in Fallout 3, but you did have more or less randomized stuff um, that kind of, either that kind of popped up or whatever. And uh, the Radiant Quests in Skyrim always feel good to me, because I, I, I think, at the end of the day, it kind of comes down to the grindiness of it. Um... And maybe this is, you know, somebody might, somebody might get on my case, you know, maybe I'm playing the game wrong, quote unquote, but I feel like the game really wants me to play this way almost where I, you know, I was maxing out all of my companions, uh, affinity towards me or whatever, but that just kind of meant that I kept grinding the most efficient quests over and over again, right? Like obviously Preston Garvey's like dick gets really fucking hard when you're helping out these settlements. And so you just grind these Minuteman settlement helping quests, which are all just procedurally generated. Oh, some raiders. Oh, some super mutants. Oh, some raiders. Oh, some super mutants. There was one, there was one time where I actually hit the same procedurally generated quest twice in a row. I went to a I went to a settlement. I cleared out some raiders in a place. I went back to the castle, and it gave me the exact same quest to go back to the settlement and clear out the exact same little dungeon full of raiders. And I was just like, "What the fuck am I doing with my life?" Right? Like this this isn't the fallout that that I love. And I and part of me, you know, part of that's on me, right? Obviously, you choose a lot of what you do in Fallout, but the game. You know, the game incentivizes this because it's the most efficient way for you to get your your companions maxed out. And getting your companions maxed out, which, by the way, is apparently supposed to be the replacement of the karma system. Getting your companions maxed out gives you very real, tangible gameplay benefits because you're getting these, you know, you're getting these perks from it. Did Todd um, Howard say that, that the companions are supposed to replace the karma system? 
Uh, or like somebody from the, their team, Todd Howard. Yeah, it was just – it was a quote. So, you know, I, I read – and somebody's review of Fallout 4, they talked about it. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's just that person. I, I don't even remember specifically enough. But uh, I did, it did sound like that was more definitive than that. See, um, so, so just to kind of kind of speak to those kind of points directly, um, I think there is some blame to be put on Bethesda for like kind of like leading you that way, right? Like kind of like being like, oh, well – there's a thing. I think part of the, the bigger thing is that the Radiant Quests in Oblivion never felt as like authoritative as they do in this game, right? Like when yeah, when some random that. dudes like you know like oh you know the Draugr are Draugring, you should stop them from Draugring, um, which is 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 my own veiled criticism of Skyrim. Um, is it's kind of like it's like oh that's nice and maybe if you get around to it you can do that. Um, whereas in in Fallout, it's kind of like well, Preston Gravy said that you need to go help this town, and that's an important thing because Preston Gravy said told you to do it. And it's got this big marker in your quest log, and you should go handle that. Um, and that's, I think that's a lot of what kind of makes that the, the the system feel worse. Like I don't think the quality of the quest is actually that much worse. I think part of it is that like. They, they it feels much more important to to the game that you do those quests even though they're really not like you could say something that really bugs me and this is like the most nitpicky thing but it's a big deal I promise something that really bugs me is these quests all show up in your main quest log right yes they have that miscellaneous yes, that's, what, that's tab. part of what I'm getting and at. in Skyrim yeah. you know in Skyrim all that miscellaneous shit was filed under miscellaneous where it belonged right like it didn't it didn't you know I wasn't confronted with uh, with this procedurally generated thing every time I kind of looked at it right um, and uh, I. I don't know. I think that that I, I I know it sounds really stupid, but I think that that makes a big difference. No, I agree this entirely. Before, and That's I think exactly I, I, my point. another thing that really makes these uh, the Skyrim Radiant Quest feel better is like it. Uh, you know, with they, they always feel like they're kind of emphasizing little niche mechanics, uh, which always felt great, right? Like. So I will always do the radiant quest that you get where, like, the courier shows up and it's like, hey, you know, uh, somebody has this note for you. They didn't tell me who from, right? And then you look at the note and it's like, there's a fucking something. You know, I, oh, you did some nice shouting there. There's something related to that shouting in this dungeon, right? And at the bottom of the dungeon, you know, there's going to be a word of power uh, for, you know, like a new shout to discover as, as a dragonborn. I love those quests. I do those quests constantly because to me, the gameplay reward of learning a new shout out is a big fucking deal right and that's something that i'm really i'm always excited for and i'm always motivated to kind of do right but i was never really motivated or excited to uh you know i, I was motivated and excited to open up new settlements but i was never motivated or excited to just help out in nebulous ways the settlements that i already had right they don't give me any rewards it's not like i get it's not like i get supplies for that it's not like i get you know, uh, uh, new settlers or, you know, special settlers or anything like that. I just get caps and experience, which is what I get from every fucking other thing in this game. You know what, you know what I think part of it is, is that like in, in a very similar sense, right? Like the words of power were always kind of a thing that like, we're always at the bottom of the dungeon and that's the way you got them. And I think the equivalent is supposed to be the legendary weapons in this game. Um, and the issue there is that those legendary weapons you could kind of find anywhere, right? Yeah, like, you don't have to go to a dungeon to find true. them. Um, and, you know, even though they're randomized in Skyrim, like, you know, the, the fact that you have to go to the bottom of the dungeon to find them, 
and this this is going to sound weird because I've been thinking about this particular quirk a lot, but I think a really big missed opportunity maybe is that like you'll get these random legendary raiders that'll drop good items, but then like the big like even if they're not even that much more powerful, like at the end of every like raider camp, there's a named raider, right? Like 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 Big Tom or like you know like Silly Sally or whatever the hell they're named. Yeah, but yeah. They never have anything interesting on them. They're just you just like a corpse with a name and like forty bullets on them. Um, and I think there was a really big missed opportunity to kind of put, like, even if it's just a randomized epic weapon, just kind of that guarantee there. So, you know, at least I know at minimum when I go into, like, one of these random radiant things, I'm getting something out of it, maybe. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right answer, but that's, I think, a better answer than, like, nothing. I also think, and this is, uh, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about the combat between Skyrim and Fallout 4. Because if there's anything that I'm going to that I'm gonna give Fallout 4 credit for, right, it really does get its combat right. And I think that, uh, you know, you can't really shake... I, I, you, that, that, that's the strongest pillar that this kind of collapsed house is built on. Um, but even then, I was kind of thinking about it. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like Skyrim... It doesn't necessarily do it better, but it also it almost does it just as well, in my opinion. Because in in Skyrim, I was kind of struck by uh, something when I was thinking about high level enemies, right? And there are some enemies in in Fallout Four that behave differently than others, but generally speaking, everyone in one enemy type is going to behave almost exactly the same, right? You've got a couple of you know, like a super mutant suicider behaves a lot differently than a regular super mutant. But what's the real difference between a super mutant, a super mutant skirmisher, a super mutant bute, brute, a super? You know what I mean? I can go. I can think, and I you know, and I was just thinking about it when it came to Skyrim, right? You had uh, you know Draugor Death Lords were just such a different thing. Uh, and the Draugr, you know, even the mundane Draugr, right? Like, some of them just ran up to you and shot you with, like, arrows. And some of them ran up to you and hit you with swords. Some of them used uh, magic on you. which I, you know, And I, th- I think that stuff is great. And I really do think that there was a lot, you know, more kind of tactical variety almost. Um where maybe the minute-to-minute wasn't as good, right? Obviously, I don't think anybody's really going to stick up for it and say, like, melee combat in Skyrim was super good, right? Like, I don't think that uh, that's that, that system was not great in comparison to other games like, you know, Dragon Age or whatever. Um, but I do think that the enemies were kind of unique, and I never really feel like... Uh, I don't know. I, I, for some reason, I get this kind of feeling in Fallout that everything feels the same. Though, I mean, now that I kind of say that out loud, I'm pretty sure that's just because when you're playing a sniper build in Fallout, which is the most overpowered way to play the game, you know, you're carrying a big silenced scoped hammer and everything just looks like a I die in one shot nail. Like, I mean, <sighs> like stealth archery in Oblivion and Skyrim. Stealth archery never was that good, though. Like, it, it, I, I agree that stealth archery has the same kind of gameplay, but I think it's a lot easier to miss with stealth with arrows because a the arrows are projectiles and b they have arcs, right? So like, if you're really far away, you have to kind of arc it correctly, and they never did that much damage, right? Like, it, I couldn't, I couldn't stealth archer uh, down a a Draugr death lord in one shot, right? But I've killed plenty of super mutant masters just by headshotting them. You know, with my silenced gauze rifle in in Fallout Four. Uh, mm. You know, something I was thinking about was you know um, the modding system, and I was like, okay, you know, if there's anything I'm really going to give Fallout Four a lot of credit for, that modding system is fucking great. But then I actually started thinking about that too, and I was like, well, 
Fallout New Vegas had a very similar modding system, even though the user interface wasn't as good and it wasn't as, uh, you know, it wasn't as comprehensive for each individual gun. But there were way more guns in Fallout New Vegas and the guns had a, a very natural progression and the mods, uh, you know, there were less mods per, per gun, but they were a big kind of meaningful, you know, powerful upgrade kind of a thing. Um, and, uh, and in Skyrim, you have enchanting, which is base. It's just magic modding, right? Uh, I don't um, think, I don't think that that's as fair. Like the enchanting system was never as kind of specialized to, to things as, as the modding system is like, I feel like oh, the modding system is a little bit more flexible. I don't know that I agree with that. Well, so, okay. So first off. I think enchanting plus smithing is really where you get a good combination, right? Because obviously a big part of modding is I level up my gun nut perk to whatever and I take my 10 damage, you know, assault rifle and make it a 26 damage assault rifle. That's the same progression as far as I'm concerned between upgrading my elven longsword to an ebony uh, broadsword or whatever. Um, But then, you know... uh, uh, the the specific mods that kind of change stuff. I mean, honestly, about, now that I now that I kind of voice this, uh, a better way to think about it is the the enchanting system is are a lot like these affixes, right? But it's not yeah. random. I can control that, and I think that that's better in in a. Certain I, I sense. think the enchants were never as powerful as the affixes, though. But I, I, that's I get true. what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. I don't think they were as powerful as either. And I don't I, know. I, I think yeah. part of this, this 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 disparity and variety is like, you know. There's three legs in in, uh, in Skyrim. There's range. There's melee, and there's magic. And there's only two legs in Fallout. There's there's melee and there's ranged. That's true. Um, I haven't done a melee. I haven't done a melee build. Uh, I think have Fall. I, yet. I think Fallout suffers a little bit too from kind of the homogenization of uh, certain uh, classes of weapons. Um, something I really enjoyed about Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas was that energy weapons and small weapons, or like small guns or whatever, were two different skills, and I kind of wish that that variety was still there. Because I, I, I liked the idea that, um, you know, f- first of all, laser rifles in Fallout 3 are very fast. They're super quick, but they're low damage. Uh, they're super quick, high accuracy, low damage, right? And then you have plasma weapons, which are very slow. They actually fire an actual projectile. Um, rather than having it be hit scan, which is basically what every other you know gun in that game is, um, uh, it fires an actual projectile. It's very slow. Uh, it's very inaccurate, but it does you know a heaping helping of damage. And I really love that interaction because it keeps both plasma weapons and laser weapons uh, kind of relevant all the way through the game. Because even though you know like I, I at the at the highest levels of Fallout Three and New Vegas, the plasma weapons are going to just out DPS the laser weapons, kind of for obvious reasons. They're really competitive for a long time. But something that kind of bugged me is not only were the is my plasma rifle just fundamentally better than my laser rifle it's also better than my combat rifle it's also better than my hunting rifle um because they've kind of smushed all of these uh yeah they're, they're, there's, there's all a weird carrying pro- progression that's not great um, um yeah so anyway that's kind of my yeah that's no. my that's my clothing's closing thesis on fall i tell myself that i want to go back and i want to i want to close out the story uh i really want to get into maybe it can save itself by getting deeper into this faction stuff but i don't think i mean i've i've been through two of the three factions or i mean three of the four if you count the minutemen um for railroad and brotherhood of steel and they're so hamstringed by the by the dialogue system i i find it so hard 
to get a good grasp on who these people are uh, because I can't just talk to somebody and keep asking for more information, which is something that I always felt like I could do in other games. Uh, so I'm yeah, sorry, no, loyal I, I, listeners. <laughs> yeah, I, def- I definitely feel those criticisms. Obviously, they mean more to you than they do to me because I still think the game is amazing. Um, I don't think it's the best story ever. Or, like, I don't think the story system is the best ever. Obviously, I think there's problems with dialogue as well. But I think it's the best game mechanically we've gotten out of Bethesda. And that, I think, in many ways uh, matters more to me. I think as, as, dear listeners, as you listen to the podcast, this will become a recurring thing theme you know i'll be like the mechanics and buddy will be like but the story though yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean it's one of those things where uh you know i definitely think the mechanic i mean <laughs> we- I- i'm sure we'll have a how do we define games episode where this will all become much much clearer because i have some wacky uh, i'm sure it'll become much clearer and it won't be devolved into a shouting match yeah um, uh but 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 uh you know i think that uh i do think that the mechanics i you know if you were to like you know gun to my head are the mechanics in the combat mechanics in skyrim better or the combat mechanics in fallout better yes fallout mechanics are inter- incrementally better right i don't well, think the they're incre- okay so that's so they, they, I think you know, they're like, like uh, you know I think they're they're more than incrementally, but that's you know that's like interesting. So I, I yeah I think that they're incrementally better. You know maybe if if we were to go by percentage points because uh, I kind of like quantifying this stuff just to give you an idea, uh, it's maybe ten or fifteen percentage points higher oh, from from a combat setting, um, but the story and stuff is down like fifty. You know what I mean? And so there's a huge huge deficit to kind of be made up see i I, think I, th- I feel like the combat's uh, at least almost yeah no I, I i get that but i feel like the combat system's at least 50 percent better um I, I don't know if i could put a number on the dialogue system but i think that so is, so i this is actually an interesting question because you're more of an S. you know I've, I've, i like i don't really like fps's uh i've played a bunch of them and i understand obviously good gunplay and i i get that the gunplay in Fallout 4 is so much better. But was the gunplay in Fallout New, New Vegas and Fallout 3, was it that offensive to your uh, FPS nerves? So New Vegas I can't really talk about because I paid, played a punch build. But um, but definitely Fallout 3. Fallout 3 felt very clunky. Like, it just didn't feel like I was... It, it, it didn't feel good and, and you know... Um, that was kind of acceptable because Vats was the main way you. I kind of played that game, but without that, I would have hated it. It just it did it, it, it felt bad. I don't know if I can really quantify it this far. Like I don't know if I can. I haven't played it in a long time, and I don't know if I can quantify it this far out exactly what made it feel bad. I just get the distinct feeling that it was like this is not great. This is. I, I well, I actually. I think it's similar to Payday 2, uh, which is probably the FPS I've spent the most, you know, grand total of time with. Um, but, you know, we've talked about this before where you weren't a big fan of the uh, of the gunplay in Payday 2. And I get that because, you know, I remember being... I, I think with Payday 2 and similarly with Fallout 3, um, the gunplay starts bad and gets good as you level up. You know what I mean? Like, it gets more precise. It feels better. You're less t- destroyed by things like... Uh, recoil and um, you know just like accuracy problems in payday this in payday this gets factored out because you know you're leveling up in your build and you're getting better you know you get weapon stability and stuff by putting skill points and stuff uh, but the big you know the big thing is mods obviously right like an unmodded rifle feels a lot a lot worse a lot less precise and, and and good and responsive than a fully modded you know 
M308 or whatever rifle you're using. And I think that that progression is important to those games because they're, you know, they're RPG-ish or whatever. Uh, but I definitely think that that it suffers uh, for that reason. Yeah. Um, just kind of like, uh, this, this thought's been bubbling at the top of my head for all this. Something I wanted to, like this kind of closing thought on like, uh, on like, like little things that I think people overlook with Fallout 4 is like, even th- there are some mechanical enhancements in places that you that you you don't really think about, but like, um, I think hacking as a skill is much better in Fallout Four, right? Like the main game is exactly the same. It's not that aspect of it, but like in Fallout Three, hacking was just like another way to open a particular safe or something, right? Or like the way to turn off the turrets or whatever. In this game, there are a lot more places where it feels like hacking. Is, is there's a reason to have both hacking and lockpicking, whereas in Fallout 3 it felt like you could really get away with just doing one. Um, but like I think there's a lot of little increment, like what I would call incremental improvements in the mechanics that, for me at least, uh, make Fallout 4 like very good feeling mechanically, and and that's that's part of why I I still I still love the game. Interesting. All right, we've we've rambled enough. <laughs> we've added another thirty minutes to our, you know, like this is gonna be this is our, our epic, our magnum opus. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Fallout Four. Uh, but another game I played this week was uh, Total War Attila, which has been good and bad because I love these games and this one's really good. And I've put thirty hours in it inside of six days, which is probably speaks to my. Uh, my my habits but um it's made me uh it's made me kind of hyper aware of how unfair i was to total war warhammer uh you know because in that hype hype episode it didn't even make my list but now that i you know like now that i've been playing total war attila and now that i went back and i was like all right let's fucking look up this shit because i really want to know like now i really want to know uh the the stuff that uh you know uh the creative assembly has been coming out with for uh you know for warhammer looks pretty fucking great i don't know have you been, have you seen any of like the new trailers and everything that they've been none of the super new with? stuff i've been i have not but i but i i've you know i was hyped for it a while oh, ago so man. they just released i i it's the first video i ever saw where they kind of talk about the campaign map and they're just going through you know the campaign map for the green skins and it's just ah. Uh. first of all something that really bugs me is um well you, you know in in total war you have this thing called the integrity right uh, and it's not really built for most factions, but it's very, very integral for the Romans because I guess the Roman armies are just had, don't aren't don't have good integrity or something. Um, it deteriorates as you do shit like uh, completely destroy and raise settlements, which, by the way, is a great addition. I'm really happy that they added that to the game because it adds it has a lot of strategic options to how you deal with cities. But you know, th- this denigrates your integrity, and when your integrity gets really low, your generals, uh, the, that army will mutiny against you, right? And this general will run around fucking up your shit. Um, and there's a similar mechanic in uh, in Total Warhammer called Fighting Spirit for the Greenskins. <laughs> But it's, I'm pretty sure it's spelled F-I-G-H-T-A-N. It's like F-I-G-H-T-A-N. Yeah, yeah, like fighting, yeah. <laughs> or F-I-T-A-N, something like that. If they get it by raiding, they get it by just fighting battles, right? And when it gets really low, you get all these negatives, you know, your guys are super lazy and shit. But when it gets really high, you can activate a WOG. And oh, the a way wog? I've always yeah. heard it was a WOG, but the guy kept saying WAH. 
which I was like, what? I've always heard, I've always heard it as wah as like really a, I've always heard it as wog, dude. I don't know. I guess just different Warhammer circles are different. But, yeah. Uh, a uh, but yeah, that's when you, Lu- you, Wa- you, that's you, when Waluigi comes out and leads your army, right? Wah! <laughs> you what you do is you activate a second army. That's just random, right? Like, just a random army full of random units, and they just follow you around, and they fuck shit up, but they, you don't control them, right? They just they just follow you around and fuck shit up with you, and I was like, oh, what a great, oh, what a great mechanic for Greenskins, right? It's so perfectly Greenskins that, you know, there's this random group of raiders who just follow in your footsteps and fight with you, but you don't control them. They just do what the fuck they want. Oh, it was so I, perfect. I, I think the kind of, uh, like, the story justification behind is kind of like as you build up this kind of like fighting energy it kind of permeates like the the environment and like the the orcs that are just kind of like all fucking around because not all of the orcs are part of their they're like oh oh there's fighting happening let's let's get (laughs) get in on that it's yeah that 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 sounds like super perfect i that Um, that, i'm excited and the coolest part the coolest part of this video is they show, uh, you know, they show an auto-resolve battle, right? Where somebody goes, they fight a, a dwarven settlement, they auto-resolve the battle, and the settlement itself changes. But it's not like it changes where they demolish all of the dwarven shit and re and like rebuild it with with goblin shit they just like haphazardly put goblin shit everywhere so like you can still see these like dwarven faces and everything underneath but they're just like covered in these like really shitty like wooden goblin faces because you're like you're like what are they they're not gonna tear down they're just gonna put their own shit on it just it looks so good and it's it's aesthetically everything that i fucking want and it's like Oh, like, all of these fears that I had about the game not being what I was looking for, you know, like, the vampire counts, they're not really a big faction, I'm not gonna get my Wood Elves, which are my favorite Warhammer Fantasy faction, uh, you know, the, 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 what I think of as these big factions, like, Bretonia's not in there, um, the High Elves aren't in there, you know, like, all this other stuff, I, they're, they're really selling me when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the green skins uh, and, uh, you know, these other... I don't know. I am, uh, I'm super into it, and it's, you know, four months away. So, there's that. Yep. Anyway, we've talked about my week for 45 minutes. Uh, how, how was your week? What have what you, what you been playing? Uh, mine's going to be much, much shorter just because uh, I didn't play as many games this week. Um, I've just been busy with a variety of things. Um and so, what I did do this week is I play a little bit of Xenoblade Chronicles X, which I haven't dug deep into, but I'm really liking it. Um, the combat, like, I usually don't like JRPGs because I find the combat to be stilted or whatever, but the combat's just kind of hectic enough. Like, there's enough kind of mechanics that aren't mastered yet for me that just, like, I'm really into it, right? Like, it's like, oh, occasionally these prompts show up that you have to time right with a B press. It's like, oh, no. And it's like, oh, no. Like, you know, somebody shouted something and, like, it's got a color on it. And if you use an ability with that right color, you get a vote. It's like, oh, I gotta press the buttons right. And it's it's still, like, masterable enough for me that um that I'm excited about, that I'm excited about it. Um, but I haven't really dug deep into it, so I can't really talk in depth about it. Um, on the positive side, uh, we did it, um, and by we, I mean probably just me, because Indivisible, <laughs> Indivisible got funded, Indivisible got funded before fund, the pod- I'm sorry, I did not fund, uh, Indivisible. Um, and when I, like, and even, you know, 
even if I meant we in terms of the listenership, um, it was funded before the episode where I told everybody to go fund it went up. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, it was it was weird. It was at like 1.3 million when I when we recorded, um, and then it jumped by 400 thousand dollars in like the last couple of days, and that happens um, for these Kickstarter things. But it's funded, so it's going to come out. I'm super excited. Um, I'm ready. I'm ready for. Uh, I'm re- I I think it's an awesome game. I think you guys should all go check out the 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 demo. Um, and uh, what else? Um, oh, the only other thing I really wanted to bring up was uh, there. I this this weekend I ran the last part of the first book of Wrath of the Righteous, where everybody kind of this is Pathfinder. Um, this is not video games. Um, and. You know, every all my players kind of have this big crowning moment of glory where they kick some demon ass and they become mythic. Um, and one of my players, uh, like he, we hit level four right before the session started, was like, uh, one of my spells I'm going to take is this spell called Blistering Invective, and that's a spell where you shout, you intimidate, you make an intimidate check, and if you succeed, uh, they all light on fire. Um, and so that's like one of the greatest things that I've, one of the greatest spells that I never knew about. So I want to give a shout out to Blistering Invective, um, uh, and to, uh, and to Chris, uh, the Inquisitor of, the half-orc Inquisitor of Caden Kaladin, who, <laughs> it's, uh, it was just, it's just a great session. I like, like, I like the idea of Caden Kaladin having Inquisitors. Yes. Like, you know, what do they, what do they do? It's like, hey! Not having enough fun. Gotta have <laughs> yeah. more fun, right? Like, uh, Kaden Kaladin is a is is a half is not a half work is a Pathfinder deity that none of my characters would ever follow because uh, it's well documented how little I enjoy fun. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that that's that, that's the the vast majority of my week, um, and so you know I'll make up for your forty minutes with with approximately four minutes. Of content, Oof, we're super good at this. Okay, so let's let's so, move on to the topic at hand, which is League. the League of Legends preseason. <laughs> I uh, so uh, you know we've been playing on the preseason for a couple of weeks now. Um, I you know we were thinking about doing this one a lot earlier, but I think it's actually man when it comes to Riot, I I, I think I can make a lot of kind of predictions about certain changes that get made in certain games and right like you can show me this system of wogs in in warhammer and i could say this is a great system or you could show me you know this uh i don't know this system in uh the you know the guild wars 2 expansion i say yeah i'm not really feeling the system or whatever um but League of Legends, I always kind of feel like is a, is almost a crapshoot, right? Stuff the community gets super bent out of shape on, stuff that I think are bad choices or whatever. They some they're just brilliant. Sometimes they're just like fucking great. And then some things I look and I'm like, oh, this is so cool, this is so awesome, and they just end up falling flat on their faces. So I really thought it was important that we get some game, you know, like that I spent some time with these preseason changes that I understood kind of where they went, what the meta looked like, and everything before I kind of like said my piece. But overall. Uh, I'm about, you know, I, uh, I am a little bit more than 50, 50, I'm like 75, 25 on, uh, on the preseason changes. I think a lot of them are pretty, pretty good. Uh, I don't know. How do you feel? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if I, if I put a number on like how much I approve and disapprove. Like to me, it's, to me, it's always kind of like, uh, you know, this is this sea of change and like how, how do things adapt to it? Um, I will say that, like, like one of my metrics for for how successful a set of changes that 
right, has made is how many of the things that they added in that are supposed to be new and neat are just kind of dead on arrival. And I think that set is, is thankfully kind of small here. Um, in particular, I'm going to say that the only thing that I really feel that's really dead on arrival are the hybrid sightstone items. Um, I, don't, I just don't feel like... Uh, Oof, this kind interesting. Of, kind of using this as kind of like a launching off point. Um, into the new into the new vision stuff, like, um, I was surprised, like, kind of to your point, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm going to... I'm What I think I'm going to feel about it doesn't end up being true. Like, I don't feel like I've missed the green wards as much as I thought I was going to, um, the purchable green wards. Um, and I do like the changes to the trinket. Um, I do feel like I missed that last ward on the sightstone, and I definitely feel like um, that there's never any reason to get the hybrid item on a... Interesting. Uh, that is... I, I don't know that I agree with that. I like the hybridized items in theory. I think it's a tuning thing, right? Like, my big problem with the hybrid items is that they don't... Uh, you know, and I get why that this is the case, but I, I feel like they don't... Um, carry enough stats to be worth it in a weird way uh but even then i actually prefer them for certain like i don't think that the twin shadows hybrid item is good uh i would rather just hang out on a frost fang or if i need the slot you know upgrade to whatever like the eye of abyss or whatever the fuck it's called um because i don't think the active is all that worth it and i don't think the extra stats are really a big big deal uh face of the mountain has I'm kind of I'm kind of so so on face of the mountain, but uh, the big one in my book that's not powerful enough. I will take the active every single time is Talisman of Ascension. Uh, I, I that active is just so fucking good. I can't believe the cooldown on it is so low. Uh, you know, I mean, I remember when Shirelia's Reverie used to be in the game. You know, and that item was super broken, uh, kind of sort of. Um, I I really feel like if anything's in if anything in this support set of changes is really looking for a nerf is really overtuned. It's that specific item. The The movement speed is on too short of a cooldown and it really should go, uh, you know, it really should go up. Yeah, so so just kind of get to get back to that to, to the point about the hybrid item. Like, I, I agree with you on, on the speed thing. I, I don't mean to kind of d- discard that. I yeah, just, yeah, I just yeah, don't sure, think sure, there's sure. anything to really discuss there. Um, I think that part of the issue with the hybrid items is that, like, even if I don't want to get the active yet, I don't think I ever need to pay for the hybrid item, right? Like, the thing that that's supposed to trade out for is slot efficiency, and I rarely, if ever, have a need for slot efficiency on my supports. Like, the amount of times I have been like, oh, darn, I could use another slot so I could build, like, what? Like, a Rabadon's Death Cap? Or, like, I just don't feel like that's almost oh, ever the I case. Oh, I see what you're getting at. Yeah, that's actually interesting. I'm a big fan of uh, slot efficiency on supports in general because I'm a big fan of component items on supports. Um, I, I do this very commonly on supports like Alistar, but uh, more or less all of my supports, I tend to think along these lines somehow, but I think getting 40% CDR on most supports is very, very important. And I will sacrifice a lot to get there. Um, you know, because... Th- as Alistar, the more I can knock people up, the more I can hit them back, the more I can throw out my heal, the more I can ultimate and be, you know, and be a tank for my team. All of these things are really important to me, and so I do things very commonly where I'll get a Glacial Shroud, you know, I'll I'll, I'll get, you know, Sightstone, Boots, Generating, you know, like, uh, you know, Income Item, and then I'll get, you know, a, a Kindle Gem and a Glacial Shroud, and that gives me 
spot for pinks. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I have a lot less slots to work with on almost all of my supports. Cause even on supports, like, you know, who are the ent- entire opposite of this, like bard, right? Uh, I played a lot of support bard. It's so important to me to get to that 40% CDR, um, that I'm, I'm totally willing to build in inefficient paths in order to get there, uh, as quickly as possible. See, I, th- I think though, even even in that case you just described, though you you don't need the you, you don't need the the eye item, right? You still have space for most of what you need. Like, and I don't think that the gold you'd spend on combining the 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 for the eye item is worth that. Like, I, I don't think you do. Like, I don't think you do that to get the slot back. Like, even if you're missing a spot for like some extra potions, it's not worth. What is it like a how much is the combined cost for the items? Because I'm not sure. I just, I just you know, kind of. It, it's a good amount of gold. Um, I think uh, I'll look it up real quick, just while while you finish your point. Yeah. Well, the, the the point kind of is is that cost is always going to be more than whatever you want to like. You know, like do I want to spend 500 gold to spend to put like a hundred gold worth of pots in that extra slot? And I don't think the answer is ever yes. And I also think that. Um, the 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 bonus on the ruby sightstone if if you know i ever get to that point is actually pretty good like i play pretty active heavy supports and i love that extra 10 percent cooldown reduction if like we really get up there right like you know a righteous glory in a face of the mountain that's that's pro- that's procking 10 percent faster is worth a lot to me um um because i tend to play supports like say tom kench um where the cooldowns on the skills aren't necessarily as important, but like kind of having the utility on those items is is a uh, a big part of, of of my style at least with with those supports. Okay, I feel that. Um, I am looking. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. I'm looking right now at these. Um, you know, I'm looking right now at these items, and to be completely honest with you, I am a little bit surprised at what I'm reading because I just. I don't know, maybe I'm just remembering incorrectly. That is uh, obviously a a possibility here. But actually, the the base stats are pretty good compared to what I uh, I expected to see almost. Um, so, for instance, Face of the Mountain, you know, 450 health, 10%, or 100% rather, uh, base health regen, 10% CDR, you know, 2 gold per 10. Out of the Equinox, the only thing you're lacking, uh, stats-wise, you actually gain 50 health. It has 500 health. Um you get the same amount of regen and you lack that 10% CDR. Um, but otherwise it's the exact same as face of the mountain. So it's literally just about the active. Uh, they cost the exact same amount of money. Uh, they cost the exact same amount of cash, both at 2,200 gold. Uh, and the combined cost is the exact same because you're trading out a Kindle gem for a sight stone in the case of face of the mountain. So the combined cost is 550 gold. Um, Right, with, but, but but that five hundred fifty gold is purely going to slot efficiency, whereas you're buying an active, which um, I like. Face of the mountains active, um, but I you know I think that the active is much more valuable than 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 the, the slot space. I guess your mileage may vary because um, of, of the way you build, but I, I just don't think that five hundred fifty golds ever going to be worth it for just slot efficiency um well and but then i look at you know now i'm looking at eye of the oasis which is the talisman of ascension version it's actually straight up better i think because uh talisman of ascension 100 base mana regen 100 base health regen 10 percent cdr eye of oasis is 200 health 150 percent 
mana and health regen. So you're missing the 10% CDR again, but you're actually gaining in the HP and you're gaining in the uh, the regen that you get from this item. Plus, the combined cost is 550 gold compared to Talisman of Ascension's 800, uh, which obviously, you know, they, they both cost the exact same amount at, like after everything. Um, but it's just... Uh, but I don't again, know. It's kind of interesting now that I now that I look at the. You're missing. But would you would you ever take that slot efficiency over the the speed em up? Probably not. But that's because the the speed em up is overpowered. If the speed em up got nerfed back, you know, like if you if you nerfed the um, the active down, uh, you know, maybe you nerfed it down to thirty percent movement speed, or only to one or two seconds rather than the full three seconds, or up the cooldown to seventy five seconds. I that that's. I don't know. That's something I could deal with. You know what I mean? Especially because Talisman Ascension kind of fills the same uh, purpose in, in in a lot of cases as Righteous Glory, right? Like, I would not mind opening up another slot on my Alistar build so I can build a Righteous Glory by shoving my Sightstone and my Talisman into an Eye of the Oasis. You know what I mean? I don't know. I think these hybrid items, I, these hybrid items are better than I gave them credit for, almost. Uh, which is kind of crazy because... I felt like they were a little bit worse uh, in my they were they were worse in my brain because I know how people think about them I guess yeah no I, I guess that's true but I don't know I feel like at least in terms of the meta game in terms of what people are actually playing with I do think they are kind of dead on arrival though like I don't think people even if they are theoretically better than than they than uh, people give them credit for I don't think anybody's actually using them that much. Yeah, I think that that's true uh, as well. I definitely agree with you there. I think it gets also into a little bit wonky territory because a big problem I kind of feel about these items is because they build out of Sightstone, they all have health on them. Um, and, you know, they have a good amount of health, generally speaking, or whatever. But it's like, you know, do I really need 200 health on Eye of the Watchers compared to Frost Queen Claim's uh, 25 ability power? Like, is that really worth it for me in terms of stats and everything? Uh, it doesn't come with the old CDR that all the other ones, they all come with 10% CDR. So, you know, it's kind of, it's, 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 it's give or take. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Eye of the Watchers just because of how I play the game generally, but, uh, I think the other two are, are less aggressive. And, you know, I, I could see myself, you know, I could see Riot buffing these up just a little bit, you know, getting, getting them into a more competitive slot for slot kind of, uh, kind of place. Yeah. I can see that. Um, yeah, no, I, I definitely think they will, right? I think that's, like, kind of their objective. Uh, and obviously, we've got a lot of preseason left okay, to go. We've got a lot of, of preseason to go. All um, right, well, how about uh, let's, well, let's I, talk some big ticket. Oh, wait, are you, are we I, I just kind of had, had another kind of thing because it kind of follows into this vision game is, like, um, the trinket changes. Because um, I, I had a couple of opinions on this. Oh, oh, um, right, 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 right. Um, right. Just because they, they're kind of in the, in the same the same kind of vein. Um, uh, I guess pun, pun may be intended. There might be a pun there. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, but like, um, so in particular, I, I like the, the extra wards on the early, on the early yellow trinket. Um, and I like the blue transformation. I think that's, that's a good trade off. I think there's, there's, there's good thought to be made there. Um, I don't know how exactly I feel about the Oracle's alteration, one thing that I don't like is I feel like it makes True Sight a little too rare, and I think that we the reason we haven't seen a spike really in uh, in kind of stealth champions um, is because just kind of the, the they're all mostly assassins, 
and they're kind of not in a great place right now. But I think that if they'll if the if those champions get if the stealth of champions get to a good place, I think we're gonna feel the fact that we don't have as many options for true sight. Um, Interesting. Uh, I could be. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I could be off base. Um, I like the Oracle alteration, uh, which uh, you know, there, there's basically two uh, uh, Oracles right now. You have the sweeping lens, which you know sweeps an area, and you have the Oracle's alteration, which just kind of is a, it's a PBAOE, a point blank AOE on you that um, you know follows you around, so you can kind of just like run around looking for wards. You don't have to kind of like smack it uh right in its right in its face um my understanding is that it these things uh, i i don't i don't really get how they work because they have this language that the uh the the lens is worn against unseen enemies um but it doesn't say it reveals them or anything like that i don't like, think I, it I reveals point... them i think it, i think it like it maybe gives you like an exclamation point or something yeah, maybe that that would make some sense. I think. Uh, I I I think stealth is always a very very tough thing yes, to balance. Yes, I agree. Legends. You know, I I remember back in the days of Jungle Twitch, where Twitch's stealth lasted fifty seconds. You know, and it was uh, it was where you know where was he? And then all of a sudden he kind of pops out of nowhere. Um, I I'm I I my I'm still I'm still out to sea on that one. My my ship my mind ship hasn't come to to dock with an opinion on it yet okay that's 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 fair i, I think part of, like uh i do think the farsight alteration is good very good yeah i agree uh uh it's and it's nice that it is just as useful as uh you know the kind of the warding totem became um but i i feel like i'm seeing a little bit too much of it almost really uh, so i i haven't had that experience i just so to, to my to my eye it it kind of fills like I think it's a a meaningful choice. Like I don't think you always go far sight. Um, at least in my experience, you you know you you tell me if you felt different. But I I, I thought it was well. It's it's a well. The big problem change. with the far sight alteration, as uh, as far as I see it, uh, mostly because, um, so so just for clarity's sake. I've played a lot of games kind of at the, you know, like the silverish level, but I've also been playing with some of my friends who are much, you know, better than that. And so we've been playing in this platinum level, you know, like platinum and diamonds, right? You know, I played a bunch of ranked fives today and we were playing against these diamond players and we actually kind of ended up trashing them, which was crazy. But anyway, um, in in the the silver level, I, I it's kind of whatever, uh most people just maybe one or two people grab a far side alteration but in this plat game you know you will have three people four people there won't even be a warding totem on the team because everybody's gone uh you know oracles or far sight and i think uh mostly it comes down to cooldown because the stealth wards don't last as long as they used to you know they don't last 180 seconds they only last at max rank 120 um, and it does take them very long to recharge. You know, it takes them 180 seconds to recharge at a base cooldown, and then 120 at its at its very best. The far side alteration is a 48 second cooldown, um, and it places this ward in this ward thing. You know, dies in one hit, obviously, but it lasts kind of forever. And so it's very it's very easy to get a lot of vision super safely. 
uh, as you kind of enter this late game uh, where you can just kind of, oh, we're pushing the bot lane turret. Well, we can put one ward in the Wraith Rush, one ward in, you know, uh, by their Red Bush, and then one ward right outside their base, and all of a sudden we have all of the vision that we need in order to not be flanked from the jungle. Um, and that's that's very powerful, I think. Uh, and I'm kind of going to... I wonder if that's something that they're going to... If, if my read on its power is right, I suppose. It might be, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, the other thing is the Farsight Alteration. The more people who have Farsight Alteration, the less valuable your enemy oracles becomes because you have less war- you have less stealth wards just on the map. That's uh, very passively. true, yeah. Uh, you'll always have stealth wards because obviously somebody's, you know, you're going to get the poacher's knife thing that drops stealth wards as a juggler or you're going to get a sight stone, but, you know... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if the rock, paper, scissors is balanced in a perfect way yet. I think that's fair. All right. Well, I, I think that's most of the stuff to talk about. Trinkets, like, uh, let's, let's move on to, as you put it, the big ticket items. What do you want to talk about? I, big ticket items, yeah. Uh, AD carry. Yeah. First, AD carry itemization changes, right? I actually, because I have a thing on this, I really love these itemization changes, and, and I think that they're a great precedent uh for the game moving forward and i really think you know i i i do hope that we get some better item variety i think league of legends has always kind of been uh kind of a little bit on the anemic side in um in a certain sense when it comes to just the variety of items there's a lot of kind of homogeneity in you know in item builds and everything like that um but i think that in general these 80 carry item changes are super interesting because uh, you know, I, at first when I was kind of prepping myself to talk about this, I was thinking about it. I was like, well, what they did was, right, they took uh, what it used to be way back in, this is really about season three, was there was a lot of variation in what your first item was. Your first item was either Infinity Edge, which wasn't great, Bloodthirster, if you were kind of a caster, or um, uh, Blade of the Rune King, if you're somebody like Twitch or like Vayne, kind of these assassin AD carries. And that was kind of your identity, right? Your identity was defined by this first item you got. You're you're this Caitlyn type AD carry, a Lucian type AD carry, a Vayne type AD carry, right? Um, and that kind of gave way to everyone bought Bloodthirster first because Bloodthirster was just the way that you won lane hardest. So that became the default. And then they kind of swung the pendulum too hard in the other direction where um, everybody bought Infinity Edge first. Uh, unless you were maybe Vayne or, like, Vayne and Twitch were kind of the only two in the Trinity Force 80 carries. I'm sorry, I'm leaving out that category. Um, who were, you know, buying something besides Infinity Edge. But the vast majority were, were just buying these Infinity Edge things. And I was looking at that and I was like, oh, well, these changes make a lot of sense. Because what they've done is they've looked at the uh, attack speed items, which have historically only been Phantom Dancer or Static Shiv, right? And they said, well, let's add our variety here, right? Like, this is where your AD carry builds are going to really blossom because certain people are going to be buying Farsight, or not Farsight Cannon, uh, Rapid Fire Cannon, certain people are going to be buying Runans because Runans can crit now. You know, Zeal builds into five different things and all of them have, like, a really unique unique kind of tactical niche. Um, but that's just because I was underestimating the power of Essence Reaver so badly. Like, Essence Reaver is so good. Uh, I'm seeing a ton of essence reaver play in the game right now and i think the kind of unsung thing that i haven't seen too many people do but they probably might get in that in the habit of doing is doubling up on essence reaver and infinity edge because it's a really good starting like 
two-item wombo combo for somebody like Graves or Lucian, who doesn't necessarily need the attack speed, um, but really benefits from that, like, that AD. It's, uh, it's kind of crazy. I think there's a lot of variation, a lot of variety at play. I'm a huge fan of these changes. Oh, no, I, I absolutely agree. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Like, and to get into some of the items you didn't talk about, right? Like, I think that uh, was it Death's Dance is, is a really cool item for kind of, like, making a tankier character. Like, um, the thing I've been playing a lot of lately because I'm, I'm the type of guy who plays is the Jungle Graves. And, like... Because Mango enjoys giving all of us cancer constantly. <laughs> right. And, yep, all the time. You, you know, what made me fucking amazed is that i also been playing a bunch of Alawi, the new the new champion, and she's a much harder jungle than Graves is. Like, Graves is super freaking easy to jungle with. It's amazing. Yeah, um, I think they, that... I, I foresee a change in the future where his knockback only applies to minions and doesn't apply to jungle monsters. His clear is fucking amazing (laughs) like oh my god yeah and so when i want to go for the option that's a little bit more tanky as a jungler rather than just pure damage is like an adc um the death's dance actually gives me a lot of survivability and i also think that the itemization changes um what is it like lord dominic's regards um i think that like you know i can feel like when i buy that item that like I, i start chunking through tanks better um, I th- I don't know. I think that those two items are also doing their jobs very well. You know, ironically, there's a lot of uh, there's like there's a couple other changes to. I, and I think these changes are more assassin-related, right? But there are a couple other changes that I think were pretty interesting. One of which was uh, the change on Last Whisper to make it, uh, you know, one thousand gold cheaper. Uh, less. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's less uh, AD overall. But the big change is that uh, the armor the armor pen penetration percentage only applies to bonus armor right now it no longer applies uh to, to it, base you know armor. Yeah, it no yeah. longer applies to base armor and i think that's a really interesting change because for a very very long time kind of the basic build uh has been for a lot of uh 80 assassins for a lot of 80 carries um it's been brutalizer which has historically been an overpowered item um rather than uh you know you you get this 1300 gold brutalizer and then you get a 2300 gold uh last whisper right so if i'm playing talon if i'm playing zed right like zed first item is going to be later the rune king second item is going to be uh brutalizer third item is going to be last whisper right and then i'll finish off the yomus after the fact right well nowadays because the, the, this uh the in the last whisper has swapped places almost with the brutalizer because now it gives the same amount of attack damage that it used to it gives 25 attack damage at 1300 gold um with a 30 percent bonus armor penetration and i think that that early armor penetration is having a huge effect on how easy it is to deal with tanks um because you can just kind of sit on your 1300 Last Whisper and not worry all, all that much about it. Uh, you know, you can upgrade into Lord Dominic's regards in the late game, but it's not really, you know, you don't need to in order to get a big ticket power item. And I'm the jury's still out on whether or not that's overpowered, but it's. I feel like it's really affecting the meta because I've definitely had cases where, you know, I was just doing absolutely nothing to this Malphite, so I just, you know, bought a quick Last Whisper uh, and all of a sudden, Malphite was just melting beneath me like all of these other squishy bitches. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that, um, 
I, I think I agree with you. I think the jury's still out. Um, I think they did a good job of making the items kind of situational. Um, like you don't like. I think it's good that you don't always buy Last Whisper anymore, right? Like it's not always the third item in your build like it was historically. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good change. I think you might be right though that like it might be getting to a point where it might be a little bit too much, but I think you know time will tell with that. That that's all you can really. What I what I like a lot about it because it you know stacks up you're like the base armor isn't effective uh, is I think it powers up base armor as a tuning statistic that they can use right like sure like if Mundo is just getting completely plowed through all they need to do is lower his armor per level or raise his armor per level or uh, you know raise his base armor and you can kind of solve a lot of problems because you can you can always guarantee that that Mundo is going to have that armor which I think is a big deal. Um, I don't know. I, I uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm kind of with it. Um, I think Essence Reaver is probably, I think there's actually a hit on Essence Reaver coming in the next PvE patch where instead of only 20% CDR, you're going to need 30% CDR in order to access, or, uh, sorry, CDR, I meant crit. Uh, you're going to need 20, 30% extra crit rather than 20% extra crit in order to get the extra 20% CDR that kind of comes baseline um with the with the items in like an upgradable form because i think they've probably been paying attention to people like me who build first item uh essence reaver second item trinity force on lucian because trinity force now has 20 percent cdr and uh and i'm getting my or it, it now trinity force now has 20 percent crit sorry Twenty force is twenty percent crit, which gives me twenty percent CDR from Essence Reaver and an extra ten percent CDR because Trinity Force comes with it. It's a very cheap, easy way to get to forty percent CDR on Lucian, uh, which is you know that's obviously a really big statistic on him. I used to play, I used to play CDR Lucian a lot back when it was not good at all. Um, and so I think Essence Reaver is in is, Essence Reaver's in for some pain. It's been it's been a little too good. Uh, as far as the other items are concerned. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, uh, do let's, let's talk about individual ADC changes. Okay. Um, uh, let's, let's start off with what I think is probably one of the worst ones out of the gate. And that's, uh, Corky. Um, interesting. I think Corky, well, okay. <laughs> hit me, hit me. Oh, I just, so I think that they built a lot of his power budget into this, into this drop. This five-minute occurring thing, and I think that that's – it's not – it's it's way too uh, – what's what's the word for this? It's – it's like, I just don't think it's doing what it wants to do, which is kind of like a – I think it's supposed to try and kind of be like a once-in-a-while kind of huge initiation tool. I just don't think – I think they put too much of, the, of his power budget into it, and so he's kind of bleh. When he doesn't have it, and then you've if you know if you screw it up, that's a five minute cooldown, right? Like there's nothing else. Like you know, the only other thing that keeps coming close to that is like flash, right? Like, which is a summoner spell, right? Like there's no other character who's like, well, I fucked up my ult, so now it's gonna be five minutes until I get my big thing again, um, type of deal. That is interesting. I think uh, I think Corky's biggest problem. I kind of agree with this. I don't think this passive is very good like i feel like uh you know this is people have been complaining a lot about the um the uh over kind of mini gamesing of league of legends recently and i get what they're getting at but i i I don't actually know that i agree with that in theory um i think you know i think these kind of identity defining games are generally speaking pretty good uh but this one might be a misfire uh because i 
I've played with Corky a couple of times. I've never actually played the champion, but uh, I, I I feel like I've never seen somebody use that thing well. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know what using that well looks like. You know, what, what does a dangerous Corky flying at me with these sirens or whatever actually look like? When am I actually afraid of that? Uh, though I do think, I think it was really good for them to double down on Corky's kind of identity sure. as this magic, uh, magic damage AD carry. And I think that the magic damage AD carry concept is a good, uh, you know, it's a good precedent for them to kind of set in a certain position because I think that, you know, in every other role, right? Like you can find, uh, AD damage where you kind of, you know, like there are AD fighters, right? Like Alawi and AP fighters, right? Like Rumble and you have, uh, you know, AD assassins like Zed and then you have uh, AP assassins like LeBlanc, right? You can kind of go all the way down the line looking for all this stuff. Uh, but AD carries are pretty universally AD. They're really, there's kind of Azir and Twisted Fate. And as far as I'm concerned, those are kind of the only two that get close uh, to, you know, uh, Oh, and Timo is the third one that I normally think of. Um, that they get close to kind of like marksman levels. Yeah. Uh, but they also bring magic damage. And so having one, having his dedicated role be in the bottom lane rather than the mid or the top lane, this is a good thing. Because I think it allows, you know, it allows the team to go Alawi top, you know, Jarvan jungle, Yasuo mid, but you're not completely lacking in your magic damage. No, I, I, abs- I absolutely agree. I, I think that that was a good direction for them to take. But, I, but again, I think that because they fumbled with the passive, or at least they fumbled in some regards with the passive, I think that that makes him a less attractive option. Um, yeah, I'd also yeah, see, like to see them that. push Ezreal a little bit more in that direction. I think they kind of have, but I think kind of having him be kind of like that other magic marksman, um, it would be kind of a, a neat thing. Like just Oof, interesting. I don't actually like that direction for Ezreal, though. I like okay. I like I like Ezreal kind of more or less where he is. The big thing I want from Ezreal is I think the base damage on his Q should be lowered and uh, it should be allowed to crit, uh, and that would be I would be solid with Ezreal because the way you know like I, the the Q is functionally an auto attack, right? Uh, right. It's it's this skill shot auto attack that you can pop out every couple of seconds. You know, a lot like uh, Yasuo's Q or uh, Gangplank's Parlay, and I think it's just kind of weird that it doesn't crit. And it and it and it bugs me that it that it can't because it makes crit builds feel kind of subpar on Ezreal because so much of what you're doing is you know throwing out these Q auto attacks and they're not you know I don't sure. know, they're not as powerful as they no that's that's, uh, that's definitely fair like uh, I think I think they could go either way with it and I think it I think it put Ezreal in a better place than he is at the moment um but you know I you know again I think that's that's that this is kind of speculation um, yeah um, I feel that. Um, let's... I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Kogma changes. Though. All right, I'm a big fan of the changes. I mean, <sighs> playing this new Kogma is so great it's because, like, so I'm a big Kogma fan. Kogma is one of my very first AD carries. I'm super into this AD carry because you know he fits into a play style that I'm very good at, which is you know hardcore farm hyper carry late game uh, kind of champions, right? You know, like Karthus was my main. Uh, was my main season three champion. Um, and uh, I loved this old Kogma build, kind of season two, uh, a little bit of season three Kogma, which was just, you know, build, you, you just you just built Infinity Edge, Phantom Dancer, you got to final build, and then you just like, 
wrecked people's shit, right? Like, you just fucking ended them. And that all went away when... Uh, and, and what Kamar used to have is he had, a, he had a really high base health, um, and he had this good poking power on his ultimate to kind of carry him to that point, right? But what people figured out eventually when, uh, you know, this, this happened, I think, in Season 3 Worlds with Genja, and then it kind of, like, went in full force in Season 4, was Trinity Force was so good on Kogma because he could keep getting these... First of all, it was really easy for him to complete his auto attacks because he gets such range, and it's really easy for him to hit these procs because of his ultimate, right? And I hate that build on Kogma. Not because it's bad, right? Like, design-wise, it's fine. You know, there are people who... who prefer that play style it's good design whatever who cares it's just not the kogma that i want you know it's not my kogma and so this change that they've made uh which is that you know when you activate your w not only do you get all this range but you also get just you you also double your attack speed you turn and into you a machine double gun the attack speed cap it's so perfect for me personally it's like they were like hey buddy hey buddy man we wanted to fucking make a champion just for you his name's kogma all right his name's kogma and you can play him all the time now and he's super fun and so i've played these games you know where you play kogma and you just get like dumpstered in lane you get like absolutely fucking destroyed and they're pushing it on your inhibitor turn at like 12 minutes of the game but it doesn't matter man you fucking kogma and you're just farming up and you're getting your items and you get blade of the rune king and then you get rune as hurricane and you fucking get like infinity age and then all of a sudden it's like pet to kill the champion you know like as long as you have like a janna who's just gonna sit on your side and like make sure nobody can actually reach you oh it's so good it's so fun it is as as far as i'm concerned it is the most successful of these 80 carry um reworks just because he has they have turned a champion that has fallen out of my favor into this perfect buddy champion again Do Uh, do you think he's overpowered at all uh you know there's some nerfs coming in for him next patch. Uh, I've paid attention a little bit to the PBE where they're getting rid of the AD scaling on his, um, you know, percent max health damage that comes with the W, uh, which I think, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of like a nothing nerf. I, I, I just don't think that it's a, a super big deal um, because the scaling wasn't even really that great, you know? It's like 1% per, you know, 150 AD, right? So it's like 2% at final build. I could kind of take it or leave it, right? Um, I I think he's he's gonna be really, really, really strong in the right comps and against the wrong comps, right? Like if you don't have a good like kill the fucking Kogmar comp, you're gonna get absolutely destroyed. I think we, we you you could 100% see this in LCS play if somebody's play, you know, like if you're playing you know, the, the the famous protect the Kogmar comps type exactly, of right? Like the protect the Kogmar comp got like real now, right? Like it'll be. It'll be it'll be good if uh, if you're playing the wrong shit into it, but he's still vulnerable, right? You can't kite on Kogma because the attack speed cap you, you get so much attack speed that you're either giving up your biggest asset, which is all this attack speed that you're going to get for free, um, or your uh, or you're just going to get blown up if you're up against you know kind of the wrong comp. But I've played Kogma into these wrong comps of blind pick where you're up against like J four Talon and you know a mumu or whatever and you're just like well we're fucked boys like yeah like but but then you play him against somebody like darius and he just has a field day because you know it's like oh we're playing nami kogma against you know a darius oriana you know i don't know skarner right these guys that have to run up to you you can you know i could just blow up darius before he ever gets close enough to pull me Mm. um so 
Yeah. uh, And I think that that's good design, right? Like, fundamentally, League should look for that design. It should be about that design. And what I really want to see from League is more of that design where, you know, you find a a super powerful strategic niche and you say, this, this, you know, this character is good in the right strategic situation, right? Like, if you want to win a game of League of Legends with this character, you have to play in this way. And I think that's, that's, you know, that's good design for the game. That's what makes it strategically interesting. I think I agree with that to a certain extent. I think you still need some flexibility there, but I think there's enough there. I'm not saying that there isn't. Right. Um, so but I, I, now I that imagine we've talked that about your... Right, your your favorite. I'm just going to guess. I'm going to peer to my fucking crystal ball, right? Like, I'm just going to look into... Mm, oh, could it be... Could it be Graves? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh great. Like, in the same way that you're like, oh, man, you know, I love this kind of Pharma Piper carry. It's like, I can play an ADC, like, retarded, like a fighter, like I usually do, and it won't be terrible. <laughs> the oh. that AD carry, right? Oh, man. It's like, I've been playing, I have played Graves in every position except for support this season, and I have not been disappointed. That like, is interesting. Like, you know, I actually think so. I like I like the Graves design, but uh, I don't really know that I. I don't think he's very well balanced. I don't know how do you feel about that. Oh, uh, ba- like oh, uh, what do you what do you mean? Like uh... this is going to be endemic because I know the you know I know a little bit of the development history. Obviously, Graves was picked up by Certainly T, who is the champ- who is the champion designer. Besides such overpowered on release favorites as Fed and Yasuo and perpetually nerfed champions like thresh right you know like he's a, you know he's one of these guys who uh i i really enjoy certainly t i think he's and Callista, you know is, is another it he's i love him because he's a think outside the box designer right if you look at any one of these champions right you can just like id right like oh holy fucking shit right like oh you know, you've got uh, you've got people like Zyra who make these plants, and it's a really kind of interesting system that we've never really seen before. York doesn't count because he's a terrible champion. Uh, you know, you've got Yasuo. I mean, well, York, who has York the- is certainly unique, right? Like he might be a bad kind of force for the game. I, I, I know. I'm just. I'm just. No, no, no. But but like I, I think your point. Like you know, I think it supports your point, right? Like York's one of the more unique champions in the game. He might be terrible at the moment in terms of like, you know. The, for like the the kind oh, of oh I see what you're saying yeah yeah I agree with you, you know like who would have thought of an ADC with ammunition right like you know yeah um and uh, I think that you know you've got this uh, you you've got this kind of tough balancing act between this gimmick almost right like. Yasuo can only hit his ult when somebody hits up a knockup, and so, you know, certain Yasuo comps are way easier than others, right? You know, like, uh, with Zed, you always have to be keeping track of these with these shadows. Callista can, you know, pull an entire character in a, in a completely different way, right? Like, these big, big fundamental kind of mechanics redesigns almost that he's really thinking outside of the box, but that makes it so fucking tough to uh, balance for, you know, in, in a way that, you know, Jinx... Look, Gypsy Lord is the guy that designed Jinx. He's a, he's a good designer. He's made some good champions, some shit champions, whatever, right? But at the end of the day, you know, it's pretty straightforward when Jinx is powerful and when she's not powerful because she, she falls into the convention of 80 carries and she has her, you know, all of these things that we can expect and quantify and there's nothing really, really crazy and out there. But, like, man, when you tell me that Mordekaiser's role is – he also redid Mordekaiser, by the way. When you tell me that Mordekaiser's role is all of a sudden going to be a bottom lane 
AP Bruiser who replaces the AD carry, right? Like, that's just such a huge outside-of-the-box idea that it's almost impossible to balance it out of the gate. And certainly T. Reed did Mordekaiser. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the first time. And then they handed it off to another designer for his very recent kind of, like, it wasn't quite a rework, but it was just, like, a little retooling. Um, yeah, to kind he, of bring it in, make it more yeah. consistent. Yeah, like that Like that triple damage Q was cool, but it was also, like, very right. much like, oh, I got two totally, charges, yeah. flash and bam. <laughs> and it's one of those things where you can totally tell, certainly, T was like, all right, guys, it's my fucking Mordekaiser pitch. He gets a fucking dragon, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. He's that he's that kind of guy where he just like just walk into these meetings and just like you know pull his, put a, pull his dick out and put it on the fucking table, right? Like, uh, yeah, I've got an idea. It's this champion who who has a dash on a point one second cooldown, right? Like, he's the guy that would have thought of that. And I think Yasuo's my favorite champion in the game. I think he's amazing. Yasuo's a perfect fucking champion. I love this champion so much, right? Oh, uh, uh, I think he's overpowered and a bullshit champion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, I know, I know plenty of people who believe that, and they are all universally wrong. They're uh, all universally no. haters. Yeah, they're all universally haters of weebs like me. Anyway, <laughs> um, I, th- I think Grave suffers from the same thing, right? This ammo system, this cone auto attack, all of this stuff is so out there that, you know, hey, man, I- I'm willing to give it a couple of patches. You, you take your time with that shit, certainly, T, man. It's going to be See, overpowered I, at first, but we'll we'll bring it in line. I don't think it's super overpowered right now. I think it's, it has a good job of being like, well, you know, you have to you have to be kind of exposed because if, you know, they're behind any sort of creep line at all, you can't actually get to the, to the champions. And I think it's kind of like, well, if you, go, if you go ham, right, like you can get that extra damage, but it leaves you super vulnerable. And I think that that's... Um, at least in, in the way I maybe, maybe I just play him too ham, and maybe he's too good if you play him at max range. But I think that that's a good kind of target to aim for, right? The the kind of like you have to go if you want to be super effective, you have to go in, and that leaves you vulnerable, and you have to kind of build him a little bit tankier than your traditional ADC. And I think it's a kind of yeah a good way to go with him, and I'm playing him like that, so maybe that's why I feel like it's balanced. I think I think the big problem is uh, you know I, I definitely think that there's a space for a dedicated AD carry version of Graves. Uh, that has a 425 range and does this code auto attack kind of thing and everything like that. It has the ammo system. Um, but I don't think that there's... I think a Graves in top lane who does that is... That's tough. A Graves in mid lane who does that, that's tough. A Graves in the jungle who does that, that's that's tough. And I feel like uh, you know the, some of the changes that we've seen are changes that, uh, you know kind of screw up almost his bottom lane more than it does those other lanes and you know something i really do want to see from graves like i i, I do think he should st- I, I want him to be a bottom lane character right like i want him to be a bottom lane champion who stays uh who stays down there but i i'm afraid that the more retooling that they do the more tuning that to bring him kind of in line or whatever they're going to force him out of the bottom lane and into the jungle or mid lane or top lane uh where he's kind of found these alternate homes because his kit is a little bit more more along those lines uh, so know. so i feel like i feel you i definitely agree that i would like to see his primary role in the bottom lane and i think that you can i'm not exactly sure how like what what the i think i'm not exactly sure how you do it but i think you can um like, I think you focus on that, and if he's viable in the other lanes and he's not too oppressive there, I think that's fine. Um, but I, like, you know, and specifically for the jungle, I don't think that's the worst thing. I think having an option that isn't Kindred for, you know, like, you have your Kindred, 
and you have like your your kind of uh, it used to be kind of top lane Quinn. I don't I'm not actually super up to date on how people are actually playing Quinn right now. Um, I think they're playing her in the jungle too. Ironically, yeah, they play they play her everywhere but bottom lane, basically. Uh, yeah, which is actually fine. I actually think Quinn Quinn is very well designed for that, in my opinion. I, I think um, kind of having these options for when say you have a Mordekaiser in your bottom lane, um, I think that that makes these kind of ideas okay. I don't I don't think they're too too bad for that. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um, and and to a certain extent, I would like to see you know like for instance. I think gearing Lucian to be a mid lane champion would actually be pretty good for him. Um, if if I I mean I think he would probably I'm pretty sure I could take Lucian mid lane and do just fine. Um, but uh, you know I used to do a lot of mid lane Tristana because you know one of the defining aspects of mid lane is wave clear right and being able to wave clear efficiently and a lot of champion you know a lot of AD carries can't do that but you could put somebody like Tristana mid. And she'll do just fine wave clearing. Uh, you can put somebody like Ezreal mid, and he'll do just fine, um, and he'll really scale up in kind of a good way. Um, I definitely do think that, that that should be opened up, but I'm a little, I'm, I'm, I'm really afraid of this kind of like not quite melee, not quite ranged thing. I think that that's uh, that's that's good in a duo lane, right? That's something you can control for in a duo lane, but it's something that's tougher to control for in the like the ridiculous variety of top lane, right? Sure, because, I see uh, that. You know the, the 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 starkness of playing Darius into, you know, even even conventional top lane champions like, you know, Teemo uh, is is ridiculous when compared to playing Darius against Olaf, right? An all melee champion, and yeah. I think uh, that that is something I'm very wary of in general. Yeah, I see what you're saying, and I I think that. I think there are ways to tune that, like maybe like I think like something like um, having the cone fall off in damage or something, or like making the bullet spread a little bit wider. That way, you have to get in closer to kind of be maximally effective. Yeah, um, I, and I, I, and I think I, that I, that I kind of thing you. doesn't actually hurt him in say the jungle, where he's kind of in a weird place anyway, because like he doesn't have a lot of CC, um, and so I don't think he's as an effective a ganker as you'd want him to be to be kind of like a mainline jungler. But I think having him as kind of like a pocket jungler is okay, something like that. Um, but I, I, I think, I don't, I think that Graves can be put into a good place. Um, and I don't think that I'm not, I'm not particularly worried about it. Um, you know. cool. Uh, so we talked a little bit about Quinn. Have you played any Quinn? Played any? Got, I have got played any? zero Quinn. Um, oh, cool. Well, me neither, but I've seen a lot of Quinn. I think she's overtuned right now. Uh, and there are probably going to be some nerfs coming her way, but I really, really, really am for this change because it does fulfill what I think Quinn should always have been, uh, which is kind of a mid lane uh, AD carry. I don't actually like top lane Quinn. I think top lane Quinn is pretty oppressive, um, but uh, you know mid lane Quinn I think is a good it's a good spot for her to be in. And um, yeah, we're seeing uh, we're seeing a lot of a lot of Quinn these days. Uh, I think this alt change is kind of crazy. It's worse than I thought. It's uh, you know I was I really thought it was going to be um, I thought it was going to be stronger, but I guess you know just obviously it's so easy to activate or whatever that the the movement speed isn't as much as I thought and the damage from that sky strike isn't as much as I thought. I don't know. It uh, I don't know. I think it's I think it's interesting because it kind of like. I've seen it used very effectively as a, as a chasing tool, um, and I think that's like uh, I think that that's a neat place to be. Like I think it's it's a, it's a unique thing to do. I, I I can't really speak to the balance of it because I'm 
like I said, I haven't seen it enough to, to really talk to that. But I think it's kind of neat that you can be like, oh, I'm going to go hide in the corner for three seconds so I can go, like, fucking run that guy down. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it's, uh, I don't know. It's uh, I, it's something that I, ha- I have to go go deeper, deeper on to figure out more. Yeah. Um, and we're kind of running into our time limit here. Um, do you have any quick thoughts about Caitlyn and Misfortune? And then maybe, Oh, I really love Caitlyn. Oh my God. Caitlyn's so good right now. Caitlyn used to be very good at what she does now, but they've just really, you know, they, they've kind of taken the, you know, it's, it's like she got upgraded from like RC, like shitty Pathmark brand, like RC Cola or like, you know, like their Coca-Cola knockoff to straight up regular coke you know what i mean it's it's the same right it's just a better version of the same <laughs> um the charge system on her traps oh beautiful oh see that's that's not the thing that really that's not that's not what we get it's me hot and bothered i think that like her identity is kind of the sniper is just kind of really enhanced by these kind of like you know you can call yeah. it mini games these, these ways to kind of like make those headshots really like kind of kind of like ping um and the, these kind of like uh like you know she feels like before she felt kind of like a generic like sniper in, in you know like the sniper character now she feels like you know Caitlyn the champion in like in League of Legends and I think that's like yeah, I think they've really formed out of her, her identity well. I, I really enjoy uh I, I something that I never really appreciated was you know, I always thought of the net as an escape ability, right? And I think that's always what it was kind of intended for, right? But using your net offensively now feels great. You know, like, I've think. gotten plenty of first bloods because, you know, you offensively net into somebody, you hit them with the, the EQ combo still works, obviously, and then you smack them in the face for, you know, a 250 damage headshot in, at that level 2 or whatever. And it's just like, man, I love this champion. I love this redesign. Uh, I played Misfortune. Misfortune is... Okay. um i i hear tell she's overpowered people tell me that she's very very strong and i do agree with them to a certain extent this new passive is very very strange where you uh you have to keep attacking a new target um in order to get this bonus damage and uh you know where she used to have an attack speed steroid this new attack speed steroid will um uh it will as you auto attack uh, so it gives you a bunch of attack speed, right? But as you keep triggering your passive, right, each time you attack a new champion, you actually up your duration on this. Um, you you up your duration on this attack speed steroid, which is interesting gameplay, and I'm not quite sure whether or not I like it yet because I've played it. Uh, you know, I've played it where I I, I can keep it up for. I, I've, I've, like, kept it up for, like, a minute, you know, just, like, sitting in lane, I activate this strut for 30 mana or whatever, and then I just keep attacking new stuff, and it always exceeds, you know, it, it, it feels like it's just on forever uh, compared to what it used to be. I don't know. I don't know how, uh, I don't know how I feel about it. She's, uh, she's interesting. All right. Well, I think we'll leave it at that. We, we probably have some more thoughts for, say, like, the Rift Herald. Um, and some other stuff at the beginning of next cast and the m- masteries. I don't want to rush. I promise, those. I'm not going to talk about Fallout 4 next cast, guys. You you have my you have my solemn vow that we're not talking about Fallout 4 next episode. Okay, awesome. Mostly because next episode is going to be a Pathfinder episode. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, so that's been uh, our overview of, of most of the ADC and vision changes in the preseason. Um, tune in next time for some stuff that we'll talk about. They'll probably have something to do with games. Probably won't have anything to do with, say, Donald Trump. Um, and uh, until then, uh, you can watch us play Pathfinder on uh, on twitch.tv slash games. You can email us if you think that we're wrong or we're right or other things. You can email us what you think of Donald Trump. We probably won't care. That's not true. I care a lot about our listeners. You can email me about whatever you want. I'll care about it because I care about you. Listeners. All right. <laughs> Buddy cares about your thoughts about Donald Trump. Feel free to email him about Donald Trump. You can email us at somederpsplaygames at gmail.com. Um, links will be in the description on the SoundCloud. Um, feel free to comment on the SoundCloud. Uh, and until next time, this has been some derps play or some derps talk about games rather. Goodbye, dear listeners. Goodbye, dear listeners.